Good afternoon, everyone out there. This is Andrew Cooperwriter coming at you with another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics coming at you at about 1 p.m. on Monday. Before we get into it, I do want to remind everyone out there on watching us live or catching these videos on YouTube or Facebook, this is available as a podcast. It is available on a podcast on Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the places where you go out there in the world and you get your podcast. So uh, if, if you're listening to this as a replay, I invite you, if you don't have the time to sit there and leave open your YouTube, to go there. Also, for those who are uh, joining me as well, um, I, I would love for you guys to support us. You can go to the uh, coffee shop in Lexington, Brood. Um, you can go online, broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. You can buy our coffee online there. As well, you can donate to us, donate.broodco.com. Got some big changes coming. I think uh, we're... we're We've had some staff kind of working for us, um, doing some stuff kind of part-time to help with with getting our message out there, doing the research on the side of politics and everything else. And uh, we're, we're going to probably look at making a move. If you guys, it, it looks like we have the support of hiring somebody on full-time to work heavily in, in helping us get our message out there better, doing good research for us and getting... Um, all that together. So I thank you guys for your continued support. And you can support us by hitting that share button down there in the bottom right-hand corner. If you could hit that share button, and we'll go ahead and get into it. I got a couple things I'm going to talk about today. Uh, to be honest, I don't like to talk about my first subject. And uh, that is because I think, um, I, I personally think that the a lot of people talk about it. I don't like talking about it because I'm an individualist. So my first topic here we're talking about is um, is racism, for lack of a better term. We're going to talk about racism. And I don't like talking about it because, one, I, I believe racism is completely a collectivism concept. Um, you know, obviously there are racist individuals out there and everything else, but the idea of racism is a collective idea, the idea that an entire group of people can be judged or perceived based upon the color of their skin is a collectivism thought process. And I don't like it. I'm an individualist. I believe the individual is the most important out there. Um, and an individualist, uh, for quote of a better term, doesn't really see, I guess you could say skin color. I mean, it's not really important to us because we care about the individual. Um, we care about their experiences. We care about them as a whole. And to say an entire group of people can be defined because their color, their skin, I have an issue with. And I don't like talking about this because, well, quite frankly, I'm a white guy. And I know immediately anything I talk about gets immediately discounted. But unfortunately, we can't escape it in today's politics. I, I can't escape talking about it. I try not to make posts about it. I try not to really get into it too much. But it's unescapable. And as evidence of that, we have Sunday's newspaper here from the Herald-Leader here in Lexington, Kentucky, having an opinion section that is entirely uh, uh, given away to ideas of racism. And it is racism, ideas of racism. To, to categorize an individual be, based on their skin color, whether that's to the positive or to the negative, to believe other people think and believe the same thing as you because you guys share a skin color, to believe you have the same life experiences as somebody else because you share a skin color, um, is, is a type of racism that I think is a problem. But we can't 
escape it. So I thank you guys for joining me, bearing with me. Like I said, please hit the share button. Let's get into some of these articles that they had out there and, and kind of uh, take a second to um, dig into them. So this is on the opinion section from the Herald Leader this past Sunday, April 25th. And we've got uh, a couple of different opinion pieces all about um, different racism, just all about racism. And the first one here is titled, I never had a black male teacher. Our schools need to do better. And what I find interesting um, about it is, sorry about that, my phone went off. Um, what I find interesting about it is that the individual writing this is a black male. And the first thing I thought when I said, oh, okay, we need more black males in the school. Obviously, the guy writing this, because he has identified the problem, must be in of himself, clearly, uh, a teacher, right? He's a black male. He sees there's a problem with teaching going on. He sees, he believes that it's important that black males be in the classroom. And yet, uh, he's a black male, but he didn't become a teacher. Um, in fact, the, the writer on this, his name is Russell Allen. He's an organizer and an artist. Um, you'll know him. He's the co-founder of the Take Back Cheapside Movement to rename Cheapside Park to Tandy Park. He did not become a teacher. So one would say, well, you know, Russell, you're saying that's a problem. Our schools need to do better. But, you know, you're a black male who I, I apparently went to college. Why didn't you become a teacher? Why aren't you being a part of the solution then? But, of course, I, I'm not blaming you for not becoming a teacher because I understand that. Listen, males already at a lower rate than females become teachers. I don't know why. I mean, I kind of know why. I have some indications why, but that's just what it is. And then already off of that, you have black people are obviously a minority, right? So you say, why don't we have more black male teachers? Well, by saying that, Russell, you are robbing an collective black males from the ability to make the same decision you have made, Russell, to be an artist and to be an organizer in Lexington. You're saying that the fact that more people are, 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 not, are choosing to not do what you want is a problem. Like I said, I'm sure you wouldn't want to be forced to become a teacher. I'm sure you wouldn't want, I, I wouldn't want to force you to become a teacher. But you say that's what you need. And then, and then he goes on to tell a story about how he never had a black teacher. And, of course, you know, he was in a majority white community. Of course, you hire out of your community. It makes sense. Why you may not run into it, like I said, males already don't really make up a lot of it. And, and don't get me wrong. I can see... I can see why it may be something that you feel is important that they're, that black men have a black male teacher that they can talk to, whether that is because it makes them feel like they understand better or have been there or what have you. I, I don't know. I understand why that may be important to you. But nowhere in here you've blamed the government for doing it. When if you want to get more black male teachers in there, Russell, instead of writing an opinion article about it and becoming an artist, you should have A, became a teacher, or B, let's get together, you're an organizer, let's, let's have you organize a nonprofit that incentivizes through free market more black males become teachers. If you think that's important, if you think it's really important, don't blame Fayette County Public Schools which he blames in here. 
He says, to improve the amount of black male educators, Fayette County Public Schools must recruit established black male educators from across the U.S. Well, Russell, what happens if we recruit all the black male educators and they have none? Now somebody there's going to be writing an article about how they have no black male educators and they need to get some. And then it'll become a, a fight for it. You know, instead, why don't we say instead of Fayette County Public Schools, the government needs to do something. Because what you're complaining about are schools, which is the government already. And of course, because you're a collectivist, you think the government needs to be the one to fix it. You don't think an individual or individuals on their own um, will can get together and, and address an issue by saying, let's create nonprofits. Let's create a scholarship program that pays for the college of black male teachers pays for black males to go to school and become a teacher and create an incentive for them to do so free of the government coercion and then that way we're not robbing people from having the choice to become an artist like yourself but at the same time we're incentivizing something you find important but instead instead you look at Fayette County Public Schools the government to fix the problem see it's once again that is a collective thinking non-individualist thinking and, and and there's stories upon stories of this there's a few more in here I, I i do want to talk about black history is american history why do we teach them separately i 100 percent agree with you i agree with that headline black history is american history it should be all taught together in a chronological order if it's not somewhere let me know i'm 100 percent agree with you 100% agree the headline but then we go in and of course um, you know it talks a little bit about um, how African-American history is an elective and American history is required why not just combine the two right why why separate them apart so i am with actually this one overall that article overall i agree with i agree with you we shouldn't be separating it out it is american history it should all be taught together but what's ironic as all get out and nobody <laughs> got this apparently is rate we have black history is american history why do we still teach them separately and then you scroll your or you look at the next article down the next article down in the herald leader Brown versus board. Integration hurt more often than it helps students. So ironically, now, actually, I kind of agree with that statement. I'll get to that one here in a second, too. But, of course, I don't agree with the content of the article because it's garbage. It's garbage racist article. Garbage, garbage article. But it's funny to me that you have black histories and American history. Why do we still teach them separately? Followed up by Brown versus Board of Education integration hurt more than it helped. So you have a headline reading like we should combine white and black history um, and, and Latino history and, and Irish history and Italian history and everyone's history, which I agree with because America's a melting pot. Followed up by integration hurt more than it helped. That is hilarious. That is hilarious to me that those two follow up each other. That is quite extreme. But in this article, Brown versus Board, integration hurt more than it helped. Now, I agree with that statement, but I don't agree with her explanation of it. I agree with that statement because we had things like forced busing. We had things like um, taking away, robbing the individual to have the choice of where to live or where not to live, 
right? You also had uh, white flight, which occurred because of racist white people because of forced integration, right? They said, well, we'll just move. And that actually ended up, I think, hurting long term, hurting long term the schools and these communities because of white flight didn't occur. Remember, guys, a lot of the problems we see today that do appear to be, quote unquote, systematic racism, I believe are echoes of racism from decades ago that actually has been done by the Democrats, which I'll talk about that here in a second. But Racism done by the government, by Democrats in charge of the government decades ago that we're still feeling today. And part of that is this forced integration. Now, what I think a proper finding should have been is to simply say you cannot stop a, a, a minority child from going to white school. There's no such thing as white and, and black schools, but we're not going to force bus. We're not going to do all these things of force integration. Um, because that, of course, created money to leave out these communities and everything else and probably caused a lot of long-term damage, that and the EPA. But anyway, so I, so I concur with that statement. But then you go into it, and it's literally, the articles wrote that um, Brown versus Board of Education hurt because when you, nowadays you have black students in majority white schools and white people are all racist. So we we're, we went from saying, oh, these white people are all racist for judging a black student for the color of their skin, while they're also blaming white people for the color of their skin, saying they're all racist. And I, I just don't see how this is a good way forward. I don't see how sitting there and not looking at people as individuals is a good way forward for the country. And it just isn't. I don't understand why we can't let it go. I don't understand why we cannot drop this. I mean, I understand why, and and I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, there's a few more articles in there. I encourage you guys to read them. Read them at least so you understand. You may not agree with them. You may agree with some of them. Uh, I know I agreed with some parts of some, right? And I disagreed heavily with a lot of parts of others, right? It's this idea, and, and it's this constant idea of this, this you can't just be not racist, you have to be anti-racist idea that I know we hear going around a lot. And and by saying that, you you have to say, the minute you say that you need to, or to somehow treat people differently because of their color of their skin. And so in Brown versus Board of Education, this, this opinion article is stumping for educational reparation for black students which is you know what and what's weird is 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 they're talking about that when actually at the college level what we see is lower standards for black students higher standards for for asian students right there's actually uh recently uh only been one case involving true racism in schools that was that had some merit to it and that was um, Ivy League schools having harsher standards for Asian students over the rest of their races. But yet that's not talked about. And once again, we're ignoring the individual for the collective. We're ignoring and not addressing the situation. It, let me put it to you this way. When somebody says, when a kid, when my son comes up and says, I want to be an astronaut, okay, I'm not like, well, you know, statistically speaking, so few astronauts, uh, so few people that say that become astronauts, so you should just give up on it, right? The American dream is not that 
oh, well, you're defined by what holds you back, so just give up on it. Right? I mean, if, if, if that was the case, so many people that are born, I mean, over, over half of the nation's, I think actually over 75% of the nation's millionaires are self-made. They're self-made millionaires. It didn't get handed down to them. The reason why for that, of course, is because to become a millionaire, you learn things along the way that helps you manage money better. And if you just give somebody who didn't go through that process money, they typically blow it. Um, because they, they don't, they never learned how to manage it. But anyways, um, what I find interesting though, is we go in and, and we talk about this is we don't tell students and we don't tell people that say, I'm going to become a millionaire one day. So you're like, well, so few percentage actually do that. So you should just not do it. We, we, and nothing else do we define people based upon their setbacks. But yet for some reason, we have articles after articles after articles saying because of the color of your skin, you are somehow a lesser. You are somehow hold back. You somehow need special treatment. You somehow are, are being victimized. It's just not right. But yet, what do you expect? I mean, I mean, look, look. You have let's look at the history of and, and this is why I love to. They say, well. America's original sin is, is, race, is slavery, is racism, right? That's America's original sin. I'm not going to sit here and pretend there hasn't been terrible racism in the, the country's history. And so the argument they have is that that racism exists. It never left. It has done nothing but continue. And that is why everything's so bad. It's systematically built-in racism. Systematic. Right, so these all these ideas were built upon a white patriarchy, and so because of that, and because they came up with a while ago, we are now that is the way it is. So let's take that argument to be true. Okay, let's say you believe that, which is what they all say, and they believe that. Answer me this: Why are you voting for Democrats if you believe America cannot change and has not changed, and the systems are? built in. Why are you voting for Democrats? Do you realize it was the Democratic South that broke apart in the Confederacy? Do you realize that all slave owners were Democrats, Dixiecrats? Do you realize that? Do you realize Jim Crow laws were put in place because private businesses owned by conservative individuals were allowing integration at lunch counters and otherwise because it was a better profit incentive to not be racist than it was to and so Democrats came in and put in these Jim Crow laws, these terrible racist laws. Do you realize it was Democrats who came in and put in red line? Do you realize it was Democrats who were the KKK? Do you realize it was as, as Democrats who were beating them in Selma? Those were Democrats. Those weren't Republicans. You know why? Because the Republican Party has, has always, their platform at least, now there's people in it, they're terrible people has always been built upon this idea of the individual matters. And if you're judging an entire group as their skin color, as their skin color, that is a collectivist idea. That is what the Democrats are. And so we have a belief system. We have people holding two beliefs at the same time. The country is, his, is historically systematically racist. And in order to fix it, I'm going to vote for all the people who did it. The party who did it is who I'm going to vote for. You're not going to vote for the party that freed the slaves, the party that put in civil rights, the party that got these things done. 
you're not going to vote for that party. You're going to vote for the party who historically and systematically was racist. But hey. But hey. What do I know, right? That just only makes sense. It only makes sense, right? Only makes sense. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't like talking about race. I don't like talking about it. I don't, and, and maybe you guys noticed that, that I kind of glance over. I feel uncomfortable sometimes talking about it. And I feel uncomfortable talking about it because I don't like looking at people because of their skin color. I don't like it. It's stupid. It's dumb thinking. You want to talk about Neanderthal thinking? Thinking a person is somehow not less valuable, can't do something, thinks a certain way, behaves a certain way, is a certain person simply because the color of their skin. That is Neanderthal thinking. Remember the individual. But of course, that's unpopular these days, remembering the individual. But in that same line of, of Harold Leader putting out interesting opinion articles, and, and once again, guys, please do me a favor, hit the share button down there in the corner. I know a lot of you guys don't like it when I talk about race too because I don't like it. And like I said, if you guys are like me, you care about the individual and you're tired of hearing about it. I am. I'm sorry to talk about it, but they keep pushing it on there. It is, it is propaganda. It is. It is propaganda to tell me we're a racist country. And it's racism. And, and, and that is propaganda. They're trying to convince you of that. And yet people come from all over this world and they come here. They say, this is the least racist country I've ever been to. People come from all over and they come here. This is the highest earning place for people of minorities. This country pays out minorities the highest amount of money compared to anywhere over the world as far as average income goes. But yet, I guess it just doesn't jive. But anyways, guys, go ahead and hit the share button for me once again. And we'll go into the next article. Not about race. Um, not about race. But it was an interesting opinion article that came out today. And that was, and it, it, is, it is titled, I'll tell you what's titled here. It is titled, Kentucky GOP Supermajority is Shutting Public Out, Shutting Public Schools Down. I agree with half of that, <laughs> okay? So they've, been, they've, they've put together two things. So in order to understand, um, in order to understand, sorry, I need to get a sip of my iced coffee from Brood. Mm. Oh, that's good coffee. You should stop by and get you some. Make some at home. Anyways, with our coffee. Anyway, so Kentucky GOP supermajority super is shutting public out, shutting public schools down. I agree with half. So in order to understand what they're talking about, you need to go HB 312, which passed, which basically made it to where open records requests are very hard to get. So, so open records requests, ORRs or FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, they go in and they're saying, I want all public records that deal with XYZ. So I'll give you an example. If you guys ever find yourself texting with government employees, and then all of a sudden, mid-conversation, they text you from their private phone. They don't want that information going out, <laughs> being able to be found. If somebody was to do a, a, a FOIA request or an open records request, because technically all their cell phones, emails, and everything is available to the public um, as long as it doesn't have to do with some sort of protected information, whether that is addresses or if there's ongoing court cases or it's classified, what have you. But you got to know what you're looking for. 
right? So that's what kind of protects them from it. Well, what they did is HB 312 is you put in your request, right? If it is denied by LRC, which, which is employed by the legislative leaders, all right, which right now is controlled by the GOP, um, then you'll end up having to appeal it to a panel of, of 16 uh, uh, legislative leaders that you should get to do it. Now, how this normally works is you would appeal it over to circuit courts, okay? You would appeal it over to the courts for them to look at and say whether or not you get to have the information. So I'll give you an example. For our ABC records, we put in an open records request. They came back and said, no, we're not going to give you all the documents here, some documents, but we're hiding some documents. And we had to ask for a appeal. A judge looked at it and said, okay, these documents you can keep hidden because of stated reasons, but these other ones you have to continue to turn over. And so you can appeal that to a judge to look and see what needs to be given over and what doesn't. Well, LRC changed it for the legislative, I'm sorry, the, the GOP changed it for the legislative commission where it goes to this panel of 16. And then if they deny the request for the information, that decision is, is how this is wrote, final. You cannot appeal it. You cannot take it over to the circuit courts to look at it. And, and honestly, it's um, frightening and scary, and it does lead to uh, ask a lot of questions about what are people hiding, which, you know, keep in mind that bill is proposed by Ed Massey. And I have to wonder, what is Ed Massey hiding? Ed Massey's a kind of a terrible, terrible house rep. We all know he was on the uh, impeachment committee. We all know that he um, proposed the gas tax, was a, a signer on the gas tax bill that ended up getting stopped. We all know he was on uh, this bill. He was also on the uh, no publishing of information bill. He's, he's, he, He's been on a lot of terrible, terrible bills. If you look at just about every single bad bill that's passed, he's probably a co-sponsor or a lead sponsor. He's just crappy. And so he was the one who put this out there, and it does. I mean, you wonder, what is he hiding? Why isn't he willing to turn it over? And it is rather uh, alarming, to say the least, right? However, they take a point I agree with, and then they roll it into shutting public schools down. Now you say, Andrew, what do you mean shutting public schools down? Well, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know what they're saying. I know I hear what they're saying. So what they're saying is, is that, you know, the school choice bill that's directing funds away from to private schools from public schools. And you say, how's that possible? Are, 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 you saying that um, they're taking public dollars and giving them to, to private schools? Nope, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. I'll, I'll go over what that does and what they're saying. But they're saying, hey, um, they're closing down schools. They're cutting funding to schools. Now, here in Fayette County, um, last year, without students even having been in the classroom at all, they spent... Mm, the year before, I believe they spent right around 12500 13000 a student. This year, they spent 17500 a student uh, already. Already. They still got a little time left, though. We'll see if they can bust those numbers up, get those rookie numbers up there. So clearly, considering that their funding went up 50% from federal and state levels for this year, clearly you can't say, well, they were cutting funding. In fact, actually... 
Much to my chagrin, they pass HB 208, which was a funding bailout bill, another one of Ed Massey's co-sponsorships, which was a, a um, did two things, allowed schools to be only two days a week, uh, and, and so that led, instead of forcing them back to five days a week like it was going to, and additionally um, led to a bailout bill. Basically, they had so many students leave, and then also as well, um, legally, they were in since May for like a month without that bill, they were not compliant to get their key, their seek fund. Um, so seek, uh, money for those who don't know, it's about 4,000 a student that comes from the state, uh, general fund, about half of it gets put into the seek fund. And then that's paid out per student. And that becomes important as we talk about how they are supposedly closing other schools. And so essentially because, they lost a lot of kids, and you had kids uh, that were that were not in person, and because that wasn't allowed for like a month, but they're doing it anyways. Uh, they were going to leave a month, lose a month worth of funding for every single student, all the public schools. So they passed HB two eight as a proposed funding bill, but we had a lot of objection to it. Nah, you know, I think kind of they made their bed, let them lie in it. They are already up so much on the year they could take a month hit, but also at the same time. Um, I didn't like it wasn't forcing them to to go back to school. I didn't like that. Um, I want to see them back in school. And so anyways, so they came out. Um, so despite all that, the GOP is still closing down schools. Now, how do they do that? Well, they passed this school choice bill. What's that bill actually do? Well, that bill provides a tax incentive for you to donate money to nonprofits that then offer scholarships to minorities and and means tested students uh not not just minorities i'm sorry means tested students um in in counties that have over 80,000 population so it's it's a lot of minorities that's why i was bringing that up in louisville it's a lot of minorities are going to benefit from these scholarships um and it's a scholarship for them to be able to go to private school and not have to pay anything now you say well that doesn't sound like it's coming from the seek fund that money's not coming from the state it's private donations you're exactly right but what does the school lose if those students leave well they lose their seek funding they lose their four thousand per head state money that comes in outside their property taxes and and that money they lose so basically they're saying i want you to force this child to stay in our school system because we need the money we're going to deny this child an opportunity at a higher quality education that they are choosing to take part of in a private school that they're getting a scholarship paid for through donations from a wonderful individual um who's who's paying for donations for them to go and it's just random donations it's not like direct person but anyways from because somebody donated money i now get to go to uh, this my this uh, means tested uh, uh, poor student now gets an opportunity they never would have had never would have had but because that's taking away that one student or however many students will get to move out of schools because that's taking away four thousand a year from the from the public schools because they don't have that head anymore in the classroom that's the problem they're saying, I want, they're having problems because they want to give your child, if you're means tested, um, you would qualify for this because you're in one of these counties that have over 80,000 and you would qualify under means testing. They're saying that I want your child to suffer 
to get a less quality education because we're worried that our school's going to close. Now, the correct answer by the school should be, we need to provide a higher quality education. But of course, that's a problem because the teachers unions and everything else gets in the way. So they won't provide just a higher quality education like I think they should to compete. But instead, the response is no. Give us the enforced monopoly on these students. Seek fund dollars because we can't compete because we are unable to. Now you say, well, you know, private schools, they just have more money. No, they don't. Here in Kentucky, LCA, Lexington Christian Academy, tuition is around 11500 a year. How much did I just say the schools got per student uh, prior years? Prior years, they got more than that. This year alone, this year alone, they got about 6000 more dollars, double, a 50% more than that tuition. It's not a money problem. It's a money management problem. It's a uh, special interest problem. It's a I don't care about the kids problem. Whether it's for good motives or not, private schools care more about the kids as an entity because they're the, the consumer, right? The customer is the parent. The kid's a the consumer. They have a push. They have a reason to deliver a good quality education. Private schools don't have that incentive. Instead, their incentive lies to the teachers and the teachers' unions or what have you because they need to keep those, those teachers in class. Now, most teachers are very, very great. And most teachers aren't on board with this. But don't lie to me and tell me it's a funding issue and that's why private schools are better when it's not because you're getting 50% more money than they are. You just don't care enough. You do not care enough. That's what it is. You do not have an incentive to care enough. These schools do. And so rather than demanding better out of our public schools, a better education for our students here in Kentucky, We'd rather hamper them down with a monopolistic system that victimizes poor students into getting poor quality education because we can't offer them scholarship opportunities because that might make it hard on our public schools. It's shameful. It's ridiculous and shameful. But yet here they are, right? The party that cares. That's once again, that is... That is, and, and, and we're getting into this here, that is collectivism thinking once again. They care more about whether or not the school stays open than they care about individuals getting a good quality education. You say, well, Andrew, they can't get an education if the school closes. You think that's true? I got a feeling that uh, somebody would gladly open up a school if they're able to get 12000 a year per student. They'll gladly service those children. You don't think? Well, let's look at the budget in Louisville. The school budget in Louisville is $1 billion. $1 billion. If a public school's closing, when they're getting that much, when, when you're, when you're at $17,000 a student, if they can't deliver, that's on us. That's a, that's a failure of the schools to deliver. That's, a, I'm, that's on the government, us meaning the government. That isn't on the kid. Deliver better for your children.
deliver better for the children. Period. Now, speaking of collectivism versus individual, they're getting awfully desperate to get out these shots. We've got uh, mobile vaccination coming in. Try and get shots out to some of the more uh, older individuals. That you know, you guys know my personal viewpoint is they should. Um, if if I was older, seventy or so, I'd probably get the vaccine. I would. I'm just being honest. Um, I don't have much to risk. Um, but um, so for these individuals that can't get out and about or have been so scared of COVID for whatever reasons that uh, they won't get out and about, they're having a mobile vaccination unit coming around to give them those shots. Um, that seems a little desperate, but okay. I'm sure there's some people delivering there. But then it's getting real weird where they start texting, emailing, and pushing shots on children 16 or over in the schools, where the schools are literally now just offering the vaccination. Offering it. Now, you know, the parents still have to consent, so it's not like they're just handing it to them. Though I wonder if a high school student's 18... Can they just give them the shot without parental consent? I'm just curious. Um, I don't actually know the answer. Um, but they're getting that that is a sign of desperation. They're desperate to get the shots out. And and let's talk about why, right? I think there's two things at play here. So to understand why epidemiology cares, um, I'm gonna have to break this down for you a, a little bit here. So epidemiology, once again, is a study of the collective. Okay. What do I mean by that? So Epidemiologists know that the more people that a virus infects, the more likely it is to mutate. And so their concern is, is it might, maybe one day, um, there might be enough people uh, that get infected and the virus mutates to a point that it uh, starts killing at a much higher rate. So their concern is, is, you know, they try to make the numbers sound bigger now because it's hard to make people realize that, like, yeah, this isn't killing anybody now, but it could. And that's exactly right. It could it could it also could not so they're looking at saying it's better for the collective if we stomp out this virus right if if we stomp it out and, and we get it out of here so if some people die from the vaccine that wouldn't die from COVID, I'll, I'll tell you what i mean so like under 30 in the state of kentucky confirmed confirmed uh covet deaths are only at like three from the cdc so, you know, it's, it's zero under 20. So it stands to reason you're at greater risk under 20 from the vaccine than you are from COVID. And it has killed people under 20 um, while the vaccine, while COVID has not in the state, but the vaccine has. And so you end up running into a situation where they say, yes, that individual may have been better off not getting the vaccine, but the collective as a whole is better off that, a thousand people got vaccinated to that one person's death because that is stomping out the virus and we're concerned that it's going to mutate and start killing people at a higher rate. That is the actual epidemic. That's why they care. Okay. Now they can't come out and say that because if they come out and say, listen, we want you to get vaccinated and it may kill you. But if you get vaccinated and it may kill you, or you may have terrible side effects or what have you, you may be infertile. It stops the chance that maybe this thing mutates and kills more people. Because nobody would do it. So they're not going to come out and say that. 
Instead, they're going to try to scare you into it. The current virus is out there and everything else. Now, why no one would do it is because as an individual, you're like, okay, but what's the chances it doesn't mutate? Because it's possible it never mutates whether or not you get vaccinated or not. That is a possibility. And it's, it's a gambling. We're all just gambling. But epidemiologists look at it through one lens. They also, because they care about the collective and not the individual, and I said this on our Facebook, they don't care about liberty. Liberty is an individualistic idea. It, the entire founding of liberty is this idea that the individual is the smallest minority. And so epidemiology doesn't care. They don't care that they lock you up in a house and take away your, your liberties. Basically take away the reason for you to live in the first place because they look at the collective as more people are surviving. So, that's their reason for it. Now, what do you think Governor Bashir is? Well, I think Governor Bashir thinks, up here, in his, in his noggin, he cares a lot about it because he thinks that, in my, in my belief, that the amount of people vaccinated equals the amount of people that will vote for him. I believe he thinks that if I get over half the population vaccinated that can vote, <laughs> I will get reelected and I'll run on a reelection campaign of, I got you vaccinated, I saved your lives, vote for me. And I think that's how he's con connecting it. But I personally, uh, I, I think that's what he is doing He's connecting it to his reelection. Epidemiology is doing it because they have their reasoning that I kind of went through already. And those two are colliding to create a situation where Bashir has convinced himself that not only will it lead to his reelection, but also it's the correct thing to do to force this onto people. And so we all know he said he won't lift his mandates until 2.5 million more people get vaccinated. He's having a problem. I said this in an interview two weeks ago. I said he cannot do this in time. He said he could do it in four to six weeks. I said it would be more like 18 weeks. I am right. It looks like he is wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's going to keep getting worse and worse, right? Now, we might see a bump from them doing the mobile vaccinations and from them doing the vaccinations in school. We might see a lift in our vaccination numbers in the next week or two. But I don't think it's going to get it done. And also, I, I posted an article earlier. A lot of people aren't getting their second shot because they're having such bad reactions to the vaccine because, of course, it's implied that the vaccine's super safe and you're going to get no, no side effects. But yet, when you take it, and you get all these side effects, you're like, never mind, mm -mm, don't want to go through that again. And so, you know, it's a real problem. And what I'm concerned about is where does this go? Because we're in a, 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 a head-on collision here, right? Not just collectivism and individualism. We're on a head-on collision of saying, Bashir says two and a half million, we're saying no. And it looks like we're saying no, and I really believe we're not going to hit two and a half million. It's possible we do. So if, if we do, don't say, you know, Andrew's wrong. I'm saying it's possible we don't. What's going to happen? Because Bashir's the type where he doesn't lift the mandate just simply because we didn't comply. And so he's, he wants to get to that two and a half million number so he can lift the mandate so he can say, look what I did for you. But it's kind of backfiring a little bit because people who are getting vaccinated are like, hey, now, why can't I be free? That doesn't make sense, which is blowing up in his face. I think we're headed towards uh, this getting a lot worse. I do. I think we're heading towards Bashir 
getting a lot more forceful. He's trying a lot of carrot stuff now on top of the stick of, of forced vaccinations by saying, hey, I'm not lifting the mandates till y'all get vaccinated. I think it gets worse fast. I think you start seeing some of these more liberal cities. You see some companies adapting and trying to pull out some more vaccine passport stuff. I mean, I mean, look, you know, when the governor can come in and tell event venues like um, Rump Arena and all them that if you don't require vaccinations, I'm going to lower your capacity limitations because they now have the power to do that. That's going to be an issue. And that's why this June hearing is going to be real important where they hear about SB1, HB1, and SB2 and whether or not the governor can keep making these mandates. We'll cover more about that as we get closer. We're going to be rolling out a petition for that. But, you know, people ask me, Andrew, you know, why sometimes though the collective has to be better than the individual, right? Why do you think the collective is better or is, is worse? The individual is better. Individualism is better. And for this reason, okay, um, People naturally will take care of their family. They'll naturally kind of help out their neighbors, right? The individual, though, it's, it's, it's a simple idea that when you're in an airplane and your bag drops, your, air, your oxygen bag drops, it says put on your oxygen bag first before you help anyone else. That's individualism, where it says make sure you're okay and then help other people. Because, of course, if you're not okay, there's nobody to help. It's kind of like a business. A business has to make a profit before, above all else, because if it doesn't make a profit, it can't pay out payroll, it can't exist, it can't survive. It's the same idea. you got to make sure you are taken care of enough that you can help others. It doesn't make you selfish, right? In fact, individualists like myself are some of the most selfless people. We're selfless because we don't believe somebody else will take care of you. See, collectivists believe somebody else will come along and take care because we're the collective. I don't need to help you. We're the collective. The collective will help you. Me individually doesn't need to help you. Individualists, on the other hand, like myself, believe that I've taken care of myself. I now have extra resources. I can take care of you. I know nobody's coming to help you because, I, because you're, we're all individuals. I do not expect anybody else to take care of you. I will do it because nobody else will. And the way I kind of explain this um, to somebody the other day was imagine you put 10 people in a room or 20 people in a room and it's a collective. You lock them in the room, nobody can come out and there's no food. And now the individualists would say, okay, what do we do to survive, right? Maybe we conserve energy. We do what we can to, um, you know, make it maybe, uh, you know, to go kind of crazy here, do something like, oh, we'll chop off this arm or whatever, right? The collective says, oh, we're getting hungry. We need to start eating people, <laughs> which is literally what the collective does. I mean, watch. We launched the collective during COVID say, oh, my gosh, this disease is killing everyone. We need to take your life away, your life away, your life away. You need to OD. You need to commit suicide. You need to lose your business because the collective might get sick. And so in the same way, they say, okay, well, there's 20 people in this room. We need to eat somebody. Well, Andrew, you're, uh, you're a big guy, which I am a big guy. Uh, you probably need more to eat, but you got more on you. I think we first eat Andrew. So they eat me first. And then they move on down the line until you got two people left. And then one of those people eats the other person. And guess what? The collective will eat itself until there's only an individual left in the first place. That's why individualism, I believe, is more important. Because if you've got to take care of yourself so you can help others, and if you believe that somebody else is coming to save people, 
you feel no inclination to be a part of the solution. You have no inclination to help solve the problem. I thank you guys for joining me. Thank you so much. Remember, this is a podcast on Spotify, Apple, things like that. If you want to listen to old episodes, you can go there. You can also share this out. Please share this video. Stop by the coffee shop, Brewed. Uh, here in Lexington. You can also go online, broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. You can go online, buy, buy our beans there. You can go to donate.broodco.com if you just want to donate. Like I said, we're firing up some stuff on top of our legal cases and everything else. We're looking at bringing on some more staff to kind of get down into holding government accountable um, and really start digging into it. Thank you guys so much for joining me.